Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Quick question for you. How many grandparents in the room here? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay. You get the hint? Yeah. Wendy and I just found out we are going to be grandparents this August. So thank you. Thank you. We are super, super stoked. And I know some of you are doing the math going, how is that possible? Well, we start young, very prolific. Uh, Objects on stage are older than they appear. But anyhow. So we're continuing this series called Extreme Heroes, and today we're talking about Moses. Now, last week, we took a look at some of the challenges that Moses faced as a leader. Today, we're going to look at some of the secrets to successful leadership that we see in Moses' life, because I believe that in one way or another, God has called each and every one of you here to be leaders in certain spheres of your life. I mean, moms lead their children. Dads lead their families, men and women alike. We lead at home, we lead at work, church, community. But the problem is, some of you have never thought of yourself as a leader. In your mind, a leader's got to have a certain personality or be outgoing or be a good communicator, but that's not true. God uses all kinds of people with all kinds of personalities to lead. You know, in the Bible, God used teenagers to lead entire nations, and he used the elderly. God used women as leaders, and God used men as leaders. God uses people who are extra bright and intelligent as leaders and those of below average intelligence as leaders. God uses people as leaders who are shy and retiring and would rather work behind the scenes, but they're still leaders. And so I want to blow up this whole idea of what you think a leader is. A leader is what God wants you to be. He's not talking about changing your personality. He wants to use you just the way you are. Now, we are going to be looking this morning at one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament, clearly. I mean, Moses led one to two million Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Moses was the man God gave the Ten Commandments to. Moses was the man who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Clearly, he was one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. And as you study the life of Moses, you'll see that he had settled four key issues in his life. And we're going to look at each of these this morning because they're the same issues you're going to have to deal with if you want God to use you as an authentic servant leader. Now, over in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, we're given this amazing summary of Moses' life. And contained in this passage, we find four secrets to successful leadership. So let's begin by reading Hebrews 11, 23 to 27 together. It says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, Because they saw he was no ordinary child, they were afraid, or they were not afraid, rather, of the king's edict. Now, that edict here was that all the Jewish baby boys were to be killed, okay? That was the edict from Pharaoh. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Now, in these five verses, 
we discover four secrets to successful leadership. First, to be a successful leader, write this down, you have to know your identity. Know your identity. This was one of the first issues Moses had to wrestle with. He had an identity crisis. Who am I? Who am I? He was born a Hebrew slave, but because the Hebrew slaves were getting too numerous, the king, the Pharaoh, issued this decree that all the Jewish baby boys were to be killed. But Moses escaped because they hid him for a few months, and then they put him in a basket, let it float down the Nile River. And as God had planned it, Pharaoh's daughter saw this basket, took him in, and raised him as her own. So he was born a Hebrew slave, but he was raised in Pharaoh's palace as Egyptian royalty. And when he grows up, he has to decide, who am I really? Am I this Hebrew slave or am I Egyptian royalty? It was a choice that would change the rest of his life and the rest of history. See, Moses has to decide, am I going to pretend to be Pharaoh's grandson? Man, if I do, I'll have fame, fortune, a comfortable life. I mean, I'll have a great career, probably have pyramids built in my name. But if I admit my Jewish roots, I'll be disgraced, humiliated, end up living a life of misery with the slaves. Think about this. Which one would you choose? Well, Moses was a man of integrity. And he said, I don't care what the comfortable thing to do is. I'm not going to live a lie and pretend to be someone I'm not. And that decision changed his life forever. Hebrews 11, 24 says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You might circle refused there. The Greek term arneomai, what it really means is to reflect upon and disown. To reflect upon and disown. It means he said, no way, I have thought about it and I'm not going to be a fake. Moses was determined to be the man God created him to be not to pretend to be somebody else. And no amount of persuasion, no amount of peer pressure would sway him. He was an authentic leader. Moses settled the issue of his identity. And let me ask you, have you done that in your life? You know, if you're a Christian, God says that you are a new creation in Christ who is no longer a slave to sin. Have you accepted that identity as God's child? And have you accepted the fact that you have been uniquely created by God with, with certain gifts, certain abilities, and yes, certain limitations. You see, Moses knew exactly who he was and he knew who he wasn't. And that's the starting point for leadership. You know, I've kind of had to learn the hard way in life to accept who I am and who I'm not. I mean, I have certain skills and abilities. God has gifted me for pastoral ministry, but I sorely lack other skills and abilities. A handyman, an engineer, I am definitely not, okay? Not at all. Back, Back when I was in high school, my parents, they, they sent me to the Johnson O'Connor Research Foundation for this extensive battery of tests to kind of see what career choice would be best suited for me. And I guarantee you, before we left that place, they sternly warned my parents to keep me away from power tools, like shop class, uh, working on cars, any field of engineering. My mechanical and spatial relations skills, they're down at the lower, like, 0.001% of the population. And so I've just had to learn over the years to accept my limitations And God, he's bailed me out on many occasions, taught me to seek out help from other people. Three times in my life, I've nearly burned our house down, okay? Literally, we had the fire department out just last year. True story. I've electrocuted myself twice in life, like serious electrocution. I've injured myself using power tools more times than I can possibly count, okay? For instance, who knew that operating a circular saw between your legs apparently is not a good idea? There's this thing called kickback, yeah. 
You laugh. I'm just glad. I wouldn't be a grandparent now. <laughs> it was a close call. Let's just say that, okay? <clears throat> yeah, I share that with you, not to humiliate myself, although it does, but I share that with you to let you know it's important. Just accept your strengths and your weaknesses. It's all right. Just be the type of servant leader God created you to be. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. And that way you're not blown away when people criticize your leadership because you're doing the best you can. But if you walk around in life worrying about what other people might think about you, you're never gonna be the leader God wants you to be. You'll always be trying to please other people, right? And pretend to be someone you're not. People who always take a poll before they make a decision, they're not leaders, they're populists. Moses refused to be identified as an Egyptian. That's the first secret to successful leadership. Accept who you are. Know your identity. The next thing we see in Moses' life is that he was quick to accept responsibility. I love this quote from Winston Churchill. He once said, the price of greatness is responsibility. The price of greatness is responsibility. See, leaders take responsibility for problems, even problems that they didn't cause. If you walk around life and, and every time you see a problem, you say, eh, it's not, not my responsibility, you're not a leader. Leaders, they, they take an interest in others. Or they care about other people and they accept responsibility to love and care for their neighbors. They don't make excuses saying, well, you know what, I'd like to help you out here with this problem, but, but, I, but I don't have the time, I don't have the talent, I don't have the money. No, leaders do the best they can with what they have. Moses was being raised in Pharaoh's palace, the lap of luxury. But outside of his window, there were one to two million crying, dying slaves. Now, Moses could have turned a deaf ear to those slaves, said, I'm sorry, but I don't have the time to get involved. It's none of my business. It's not my responsibility. Can somebody please peel me another grape, right? Just, he didn't do that, did he? No, he was a true leader. He said, this is wrong. Somebody's got to do something about this about these people who are hurting. Look at Hebrews 11, 24 to 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Circle the word chose. See, Moses made a decision. He accepted responsibility and thought of others first. In verse 24, we see Moses refusing one path. And in verse 25, we see Moses choosing a different path. He's taking responsibility. And did you notice when Moses finally came to grips with his identity? It says, when he had grown up. If you're still pretending to be someone you're not, you need to grow up. The mark of emotional and spiritual maturity is when you quit pretending to be somebody you're not. So first, Moses, we see refusing the wrong thing. And then we see Moses doing the right thing. And I would say a negative should always be followed by a positive, right? Some people think the Christian life is just all about negatives. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, or run around with girls who do, right? That's the old saying, right? Yeah, I got to thinking about that. If the Christian life was all just a bunch of don'ts, then dead people, people in a coma would make great Christians, right? They don't do anything. No, it's not about just refusing the bad. It's about choosing the good, accepting responsibility, doing something about it. Now, if you're going to accept responsibility, you've got to abandon the blame game. You know what I'm talking about? Where you blame other people for the direction of your life. 
Folks, this is the exact opposite of what society says. It tells us that we're all just victims. None of the problems in your life are your fault. You're just a product of your environment. When you were a little baby, your mom held your head under the bathwater too long. That's why you have all these repressed feelings and you're an ax murderer now, but it's not your fault. I know that you can't control all the circumstances in life, but you know what you can control? You can control how you respond. You can choose how you respond to those circumstances. It's a big difference there. And I think we love to blame other people for problems in life, right? But when you spell the word blame, think about this. It's spelled be lame, right? When you blame other people for your problems in life, you're being lame. You're not accepting responsibility. And we're all good at this. We learn it from a very, very early age. Read a story about this couple who were always teaching their toddler about the wonderful things that God had made. And so throughout life, they would ask him questions like, who made the sun? Little guy would say, God did. And who made the rain? God did. One evening, they walked into their toddler's bedroom, and there were toys scattered all over the floor. And they said, who made this mess? Little guy thought for a second, and he was quiet. And then he lit up and said, God did? And real leaders accept responsibility. Another secret to successful leadership that we see in Moses is to set priorities. Why? Because you can't do everything in life. You don't have time to do everything in life. So you have to figure out what's important, what matters, what doesn't matter. What's important in life and what isn't important in life. Have you done that in your life? If not, that's your homework this week. I want you to sit down and define your goals, define your values, define your priorities, because if you don't know what your priorities are, what's truly valuable in your life, then other people will fill your schedule with their priorities. I guarantee it. God loves you, and everyone else has a wonderful plan for your life. you got to decide. Moses had to do this. Hebrews eleven twenty six. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. There's a key word here. Circle the word regarded. Regarded means he made a value judgment. He evaluated his life and said, this is important and this isn't. And why did Moses decide to go the way he did? Because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses was not a short-term thinker. Moses thought, should I invest my life in the here and now when I've got 60, 80, 100 years? Or should I invest my life in things that will last for eternity? I've got billions, trillions of years. It's a no-brainer, really. We should invest our life in things that will outlast this lifetime. It's a no-brainer, but most people never do that because their values, their priorities aren't right. And we just allow the hecticness of day-to-day life, the tyranny of the urgent to interfere with our true priorities. That's one of the great things about being involved in ministry You really don't have to sit back and ask, well, should I be doing something more valuable than serving God? I think that's a no-brainer also, right? Those of you who know me really well, you know that I'm a diehard Minnesota Viking fan, okay? And so when fall comes around, Sunday afternoons, one of the things I love to do if I have free time is to watch the Vikings play, okay? It's one of my hobbies, no guilt in that. I have that freedom in Christ, right? And so... Normally, there's not any problem with that, but I remember many, many years ago, okay, we were sponsoring this major outreach event here in Georgetown, Texas. We were bringing in a world-renowned illusionist named Andre Cole. He does magic tricks. He shares the gospel. It was an incredible outreach event, 
And so each and every Sunday, we were selling tickets to this event after the church services. And so I would typically be up at church until 1.30 in the afternoon, something along those lines, selling tickets with Ginger Hobbs. She was in charge of ticket sales. And, and uh, that was also before the days of TiVo, DirecTV, any kind of recording devices. Keep that in mind. And that particular year, the Vikings were making a run to the Super Bowl. They were actually playing in the NFC Championship game against the Giants at noon on Sunday. And that was the Sunday right before our big outreach event. So there was this tension going on in my life about, oh, man, I really want to watch the game, but, you know. And I could have turned over the sales probably to Ginger and her team. She coordinated the sale of over 2,000 tickets to this particular event. But I knew in my heart what the right thing to do was. I just knew that I knew that I knew that, you know, this is of eternal significance. I need to give my all to this. So I stayed at church that Sunday. And I mean to tell you, God tested me. The line just went on and on and on. It's like, really, Lord? Really, Jesus? <laughs> I missed like most of the game. Kelly Hobbs did call me periodically with updates on my cell phone, scoring updates. And I remember praying, God, I'd really like the Vikings to win. And I know because I'm being so spiritual and I'm staying at church, that's going to be part of this prayer. And in the midst of praying that, I remember thinking, but honestly, I would rather see one more soul come to know you personally than for the Vikings to advance the Super Bowl. And of course, God, having a sense of humor, decided to honor my prayer in grand fashion, okay? The Vikings got whooped 41 to nothing that afternoon. But Satan got whooped at our outreach event. We had over 2,200 people show up. Over 300 people put their faith in Jesus Christ. Is that incredible? Yeah, all praise to God for that. But you know what I really learned from that whole experience? Next time, I'm not praying an either-or, but a both-and prayer. Right? I want everyone to come to Christ and the Vikings to win, Lord. Why I didn't think of that in the first place? I don't know. And in case you're wondering the answer to that tough theological question, should we really pray that our team win a sporting event? Is God really concerned? The answer is yes, okay? He is concerned. It's not like God's sovereign over all the affairs of man, except in football, then he just hands off, sits back, and watches. The only reason God made me a Viking fan was to teach me about suffering, perseverance, okay? been very painful, but anyhow. Now, I realize I share that story with you. It's not always that easy to make decisions about priorities, right? I mean, when people's eternal souls are on the line, watching some guys run around a football field pales in comparison. But you know what? If you don't have your values set in stone in life, if you don't really have your goals clearly defined, it's so, so easy to get distracted, so, so easy to waste time. So let's talk about values for just a minute. First of all, let me talk about what the world's values are. You know, the world has three primary values that have been around since the beginning of creation. I put these on your outline. The first one is prestige, popularity, right? I want people to look up to me. I want to have status. I want to be envied, prestige. Second value is pleasure, right? I want to have a good time. I want to have fun. The more fun and pleasure I can get, the better. The third value is possessions. I want to be wealthy. I want to be rich. I want to get all I can. That's a quick summary of the world's value system. The Bible calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those values are as old as creation itself. As a matter of fact, they're the three temptations that Satan used with Eve in the garden and the same three temptations Satan used with Jesus in the wilderness. And you'll find these three in every advertisement that you see today. I mean, seriously, take any ad on radio, TV, billboards, magazines, wherever, and it's going to be appeal, an appeal to one of these three, prestige, pleasure, possessions. 
right? These clothes will make you popular. This food will bring you pleasure. This book will help you to get rich quick. And what's interesting to me is that by the world standards, Moses had it made, right? If he had just kept quiet, stayed in Pharaoh's palace, he would have had all three of those, prestige, pleasure, possessions. But he walked away from all of that. He could have lived in the lap of luxury with power, choice foods, wine, women, all the wealth of Egypt at his fingertips. But he said, no way. Because he knew, he knew that loving God and caring for people was of greater value in the long run. Now that entails some serious sacrifice on Moses' part. And if you're going to say yes to leadership, guess what? You're going to have to say no to a lot of other things in life. Because leadership is not something you tack on to a self-centered life. True leadership is others-oriented, servant leadership. You can't say, I want to be comfortable and have a me-centered life, and then plus I'll help people on the side. That's not leadership. you got to learn to say no. you got to go counterculture. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to be the greatest, you've got to be the servant of all. You've got to learn to swim upstream. Because the whole flow of culture is downstream. And let me tell you, if you're just coasting, you're always headed downhill. Moses gave up what most Americans spend their entire lives trying to get. Prestige, pleasure, possessions. He rejected the world's pleasures and he rejected the world's treasures. Why? The answer is found in verse 26. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. It's right there, people. He was looking ahead. That's the final secret to successful leadership. Godly leaders focus on eternity. Leaders that God uses are long-term thinkers, not short-term thinkers. Right? They're not just thinking in terms of the here and now. They're not even just thinking in terms of 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now. They're thinking, how can what I do today make a difference for eternity? Colossians 3, 1-2 says, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You have to think long-term if you're going to be a servant leader. If you don't, you'll end up looking at all the problems and just get overwhelmed. Or you'll overwork and get burned out. Or you'll listen to the critics and get discouraged. And let me tell you, one of the easiest things to do in life is to lose your focus. To lose focus. I remember God, he gave me a real wake-up call in the whole area of eternal perspective back when I was in college. Wendy and I were married at the time, and she noticed that I could become pretty obsessive with my studies. I was carrying a 4.0 GPA and spent a lot of time with my schoolwork, and, and quite frankly, I just loved it. I mean, I'm into reading and writing and education, taking tests. I know it's kind of weird, right? <laughs> kind of sick. Teenagers are looking at me like I'm from Mars over here. But <clears throat> I enjoyed that. But anyway, some leaders in our church, they challenged Wendy and I to get involved in youth ministry, okay? This was kind of God starting to nudge me in that direction of ministry. So we decided, okay, we'll do that. And before long, there was this conflict that arose between the amount of time that I spent trying to keep my pristine 4.0 GPA and the amount of time I spent ministering to the kids, doing youth ministry. And I knew in my head that getting all A's in college was not as valuable as ministering to other people. But in my heart, I just didn't want to give the other. I wanted to do both. And so I tried. And let me just tell you, I'm not gifted enough to make all A's in college without studying. I know people like that. Make me sick. All right? But that's a, that's a different story. But Wendy noticed that, that I would just keep drifting more and more toward my studies. 
And so she came to the conclusion that the only way I was going to be cured of this is if I got my first B in college. You know, kind of like when you get a new car, you got to get that first ding or crack in the windshield before you can really relax and enjoy it. And so crafty woman that she is, the night before my sociology final exam, she hid my textbooks, okay? I kid you not. Now, sociology, right, it's one of those classes. I'm busy studying for Greek and all this other stuff. Sociology, you know what? I'll just ace the final and I'll be fine. And, I, you know, it was no big deal. She hid my textbooks and she said, you know, all, all that talk, like that commitment that you made and all the speaking about eternal perspective and really doing what matters. Hey, let's live it tonight. And as much as it pained me, I knew she was right. I was like, I got to let this go. And so I did. Okay, and then I went into that test. And I totally flubbed my sociology final. It was worth like half the grade in the class. So I got my first B at Baylor. And you can pray for me because I'm still trying to forgive my wife to this day, all right? <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. That was one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. See, I was putting too much emphasis on the pleasure, the prestige of having that perfect 4.0 GPA rather than investing in things that would last. Now, I'll tell you up front here, the world will tell you the opposite. The world's going to give you the exact opposite message. My advisors at Baylor, they freaked out when I dropped off the summa cum laude list, and they just looked at me dumbfounded when I tried to explain to them how it all went down, how I got my first B in college. But if you're going to overcome the world's value system, you've got to live in light of eternity. The only way Moses was able to reject the treasures and pleasures of Egypt is because he wasn't living for the here and now. He was living for the future. He was living for eternity. <clears throat> Pastor Rick Warren once said this, remember, life is a test. You're being tested. And life is a trust. God is seeing what he can trust you with. And life is a temporary assignment. It isn't going to last forever. Hebrews eleven twenty seven says, by faith, he, Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So you have to understand, in Egypt, Pharaoh, the king, he was the supreme ruler and commander. If he commanded you to do something, you had to do it or risk getting your head chopped off. Moses said, sorry, buddy. I report to a higher authority. I'm living for an audience of one, and his name is not Pharaoh. It's God. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses kept his eyes on God and eternal things. And that gave him the leadership qualities of persistence and endurance. Real leaders don't give up. They keep on keeping on. And if anybody is the poster child for endurance, it's got to be Moses. And Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years waiting for God to say go. And then he spent another 40 years wandering back through that same wilderness with two million crying, whining spiritual babies, right? Moses deserves an Olympic gold medal for endurance. But his endurance came from his eternal perspective. That's where it came from. God has called each and every one of us here in this room to be leaders in certain spheres of life. Our kids, families, work, church, community. And God also says that all Scripture is useful for us to learn from, including Moses' shining example of godly servant leadership. You are a leader, people. The only question is, how effective a leader are you? Let me encourage you as we close here. Know your identity. Accept responsibility. 
set priorities, and focus on eternity. Then and only then will you be a successful leader in the eyes of the only one who judges rightly, God himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the fabulous example you've given us in Scripture and how we've been able to spend a couple weeks looking at this remarkable servant leader, Moses. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit, we could take this model to heart, to learn from him. First of all, God, I would pray for all of us that we would remember who we are in you, that we are a new creation, that you have given us all we need for life and godliness through your power living inside of us, your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would just know their identity and embrace that, strengths and weaknesses alike. I pray that they would accept responsibility, not just say, well, that's not, that's not for me, that's, that's their job, that's their problem. But we would step in not just for ourselves, but for others, to love our neighbor as ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us as well to to set priorities because we can't do it all. That we would know, here's why I'm here on earth. Here are my priorities and that they would line up with your priorities. And ultimately, God, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, on that which will last forever and ever. Not store up treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven. And God, as imperfect people, the only way we can do this is to do every moment of our lives with you because you're the perfect one. You're the one who provides wisdom. You're the one who provides the power and strength to pull this off. So God, would you remind us throughout our days to invite you in. Just a simple prayer here, a simple prayer there. God, I need wisdom here. God, I need strength. God, I'm about to lose my cool. Would you help me to have patience here? God, 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 just just be here with me. Lord, I know that you honor those little prayers. I know that you honor when we try to do life with you. So again, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to grow. We thank you for the opportunity to apply these principles to our lives. And we pray that we would be not simply hearers of the word, but doers. In Jesus' name.